Welcome to A Million Baptist Podcast, where we discuss church life, theological questions, and cultural influences. Our podcasts are available via Google, Spotify, Apple, and many other podcast platforms. We hope you subscribe and enjoy today's episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Amelia Baptist Roundtables. Uh, we are just so incredibly encouraged uh, looking at the last few weeks of uh, this new year and, and putting out the roundtables on the podcast and on YouTube uh, at the response and the views and the sharing. And so thank you so much. This is just a, sort of our way to highlight the importance of discussion, really looking at things with a bit more depth. We know that a sermon can cover a good amount of depth, and we know messages online and Um, blogs and updates and things like that that might come out from these churches' sites might cover a good bit of depth. But I think there's nothing like conversation, discussion. Um, I was so appreciative to uh, be a part of uh, Pastor Neil and Lynn Hyatt from First Baptist Church Callahan and their discussion. um, Last round table, I thought hopefully you were blessed by that. Certainly by the amount of views we got, many people were at least interested. So we were happy to have him out and thankful for him and Miss Peggy, his wife, Uh, for sharing their time with us. Uh, If you haven't watched that, go back, take a look at that. Um, It is just so incredibly encouraging um, for Christians, especially people maybe even considering the ministry. I would highly recommend it. Before we dive into sort of recapping a series on Christology, the study of Jesus Christ throughout the Old and New Testament that we here at Amelia Baptist have been presenting as a sermon series on Sunday mornings for our church. I just wanted to start off with a few recommendations. Um, I'm going to hold the book titles up. That's not going to really matter to people who are listening on uh, podcast (laughs) streaming. But um, for those watching the YouTube video, you might be able to see this title online and pick one up for yourself. The first book I wanted to recommend was a book called Healing Family Relationships, which is a guide to peace and reconciliation by Rob Reno. Rob and Amy Reno are with Visionary Parenting. Um, There is a link to a clip of a roundtable of me and my wife, Amy Jo, talking about what it was like to attend one of Rob Reno's conferences. We'll hopefully share that link when we share this uh, so you can check that out. But we really enjoyed what he and his wife had to say on uh, family dynamics and ministry, family worship, presenting the gospel clearly to your children. This book specifically deals with uh, people inside Uh, your family or people that you know who uh, do not believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and some hard conversations that are happening between family members. A topic at the roundtables hopefully we are able to address pretty soon. The second book is a book by Daniel Darling called Away With Words. I've read a lot of books about social media and time on your phone and um, the effect it's having mentally and emotionally on everyone these days, but Away With Words, uh, using our online conversations for good by uh, Daniel Darling uh, is absolutely vital for your library. Daniel uh, does a great job at depicting the seriousness attached to what we post. It's so it's so quick to get online and to cast an opinion, even an aspersion or an assumption, even worse, outside of our expertise, if any. And Daniel does a good job in reeling us back into the responsibility we have as Christ followers to be edifying even when we are uh, wanting to declare a very hard truth. And so I'd recommend that. And then last but certainly not least, which has been uh, really hailed by Crossway as their book of the year, um, is a book by uh, Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners uh, and Sufferers. This book is all about Jesus Christ, who he is, his nature, all throughout the scriptures. 
I would highly recommend that. And that will segue into what we are going to talk about today. Gentle and Lowly could have been quoted a few times in our Christology series, uh, I think. But uh, it, it came out sort of near the end of us wrapping up. Well, I tell you, it's been a wonderful series that uh, we've been a part of, our Christology, which is basically asking the question, who is Jesus? Right. And through that, what we wanted to do was present Jesus throughout the scriptures uh, through the names that he's called, names that we refer to Jesus uh, as throughout the scriptures. And one thing we said, I think, the other day was uh, this could have gone on forever. Uh, right. In Jesus. fact, we've had suggestions on right. uh, why didn't we use this phrase or right. that title or that name? Yeah. And perhaps we can come back and uh, do a whole other series. Do another whole series. Yeah. But the first one that that sort of kicked everything off was a look at John 1, 1 through 14, which I think was a no-brainer for you and I as we were discussing the order of of these sermons, uh, that John 1, 1 through 4 specifically, and I think you address all the way to 10, if I'm not mistaken, or 14. Yeah, that's right. but, But you had emphasis on several spots. and. Uh, as, as, so everyone at home understands where we're coming from. Jesus is recognized through John 1, 1 through 14 as the living word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And it goes on to say he, with God and all things were made through him and without him, nothing is possible. Why is that so important to start off a sermon series? Uh, well, we should start where it says in the beginning. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so good advice. Yeah. Genesis does that. You know, John does that in his uh, in his gospel. Uh, the real important part of this is that we wanted to get a a view of Christ before his incarnation. Right. And that um, it's it's these phrases are nearly impossible to rationally put together because how can the word be with God and be God at the same time? And of course, this is a reflection of how we we look at the whole Godhead as yeah. a trinity but one. Right. And so him being the living word is the very expression and the heart and the mind of God toward us. And of course... He became flesh. He did. And I think uh, John 1, 1 through 14 is so incredibly important because it reminds people that Jesus didn't just come on the scene in the incarnation. Like you said, it points to the Trinity. The Trinity is inferred all throughout Scripture, even though we never see the word Trinity. Right. Uh, the, the, the Father God, the Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, three persons, one Spirit, all working perfectly uh, together, but yet one and um, I think this really highlights that he was there at Genesis. That's one thing I love to trip people out with who are possibly new to the faith is that you know Jesus Christ was there when the world was made. That's right. Uh, everything was made not only with him there but through him. So what an important part of uh, outlining any Christology series. If anyone listening is thinking about doing this, I, I would highly recommend it. I think that the feedback we've gotten from our church has been uh, a great uh, support and surprising that some people had used these phrases uh, and these references and these names and titles of Jesus, but had never really uh, had the, the scripture presented in great depth to them to go over what that meant. Well, you and I have thoroughly enjoyed this. Number one, we're a Christ-centered church. Right. And uh, every sermon that we preach, we seek to understand Christ better. Right. It was just really nice to be able just to go and look at what the Bible says actually about Christ, and more importantly, what Jesus said about himself, yeah. because he always made himself the issue. The issue was never the issue. Yeah. He was the issue. Brought it back to himself. That's exactly right. Yeah. And to start off that he is the living word, and even in the same uh, chapter it says, and in him was life. And so the, the second 
uh, theme that we study during a Christology is that uh, and that He is life, and right. that and Paul even says He is our life. And one reason we chose that early on is that that was the sanctity sanctity of human life Sunday, right? And we wanted that's that was in January, the third Sunday, mm-hmm. and we just wanted to emphasize, you know, that uh, this is not a political uh, reference for us to say that we're pro-life. Yeah, not primarily, not at all, even from the It's pul- an extension. From the mm-hmm. Yeah, it is an extension of what we believe about yeah. our Lord Jesus Christ. Right. He is a source of life. And when he said that I come that they may have life and have it more abundantly, yeah. he is speaking in a culture of death during a time of Romans did not value life, especially yeah. non-Roman lives. Yeah. He takes it a step farther and says that you could be living but to live for Christ is to live abundantly. That's right. To live with not only everything that you truly need, but to know why you're here and answer a conversation of purpose and point and direction. Yep. And I wanted to make a mention too. Uh, one of the emails we had received back was, can we do one on the bread of life? And we were able to refer back to the source of life because we believe that's what he was discussing, that, that theme when he talks about the bread during the Last Supper and, yeah, and all right. that stuff, when he mentions himself. And, mm-hmm. um, and so that was very important to kind of tie in. When you, when you talk about Jesus, well, why don't you mention him as the water that we drink when we're thirsty, Revelation, right? And then why don't you mention him in John What's the bread? Well, there you go. The source of life sort of covers that or can cover that. And depending on how long you want to run a series like this, again, like we said at the beginning, you can keep going and make much of the Word of God because it does make much of itself, and we're thankful. And then that moves really into once we've established Jesus the living Word, Jesus the source of life, Jesus the chief cornerstone. Um, you took... This was you, wasn't it? That's you right. You did the Cornerstone one. This I was one of my favorite that. ones that you did, I think. It, yeah, it was really was good. Was this one probably one of your favorites to go over? Something about the word Cornerstone, to know every bit of our faith rides on Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Just the study, and of course, I'm not an architect. I don't know anything about construction or anything like that, but reading about the way the... Um, uh, the temple was made, mm. you know, my house is made on a slab, and that slab is on sand. We live on an island. This is not a good thing. <laughs> right. And so when we were studying uh, Jesus, the chief cornerstone, yeah. we actually looked at how the temple was made. It was being built. And so um, the, the cornerstone, it was incredibly uh, 41 feet long. Um, I think 19 feet wide and 11 feet high. And uh, the way that it was situated on the mount is that all the stones from the cornerstone all the way to the top ultimately rests on the cornerstone. And the whole idea is that um, the Bible looks at all believers as living stones and that we are the living temple of God. And so he indwells us, and, uh, and therefore, when we look at us as individuals, no matter where we are in history, we are resting on stones that rest on stones that rest on the cornerstone. Exactly. And so we're our whole lives and community built together, mm-hmm. no matter where we come from, 
all rests on Jesus Christ. Just like it said in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 20, you're built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, and here comes Jesus himself being the cornerstone. I'm who the prophets were talking about. I'm, who right. I'm not Elijah. Elijah was talking about me. That's right. Um, and so that was cool to see uh, that word consistently being brought up. I think that's very helpful. I think it's encouraging to remember that. And I think we even sung, He Will Hold Me Fast around that time period, just because we want to remind people of those great lyrics uh, by Matt there about the chief cornerstone and who Jesus is. And yep. that, it's not on us, man. We rest in him. We rest in him, guys. Um, and then that moved into the head of the church. Uh, we tried to alternate these pretty good. Me, you, me, you, I think. Yeah. Uh, we did okay on that. I think there was like only one time where maybe two in a row. But uh, Jesus, the head of the church. Now that can be confusing. And uh, you don't want to... That, that one I felt was the easiest one to tangent. I from. loved... Yeah, I think this was when I did them back-to-back. And then yeah. later on, you did I was about to say, I don't remember talking no, you about did all back, the yes, right. Yeah. Um, I love this because uh, I was able to address um, the Church Episcopal hierarchy. form of mm-hmm. government, uh, which is Episcopal, Anglican, and Catholic. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the Presbyterian form of government. And then... Uh, congregationalism, yeah, church government, church hierarchy. That these are the organizational structures set up in the church, and you see a little bit of all those mm-hmm. with, within the New Testament to some degree. Um, but uh, what we wanted to to say <laughs> is that uh, as long as Christ is the head of the church, then we need to make sure that we don't place ourselves above him right. or equal to him. Exactly. And so each one of these forms of government has its strength and has its weaknesses. And we just have to remember that there is only one head. And the scripture that we used here even says that he is the head of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in everything he might be preeminent. And so, uh, you know, not only is he the head in the sense that he began the church, but in eternally, mm-hmm. he's the beginning of the church because he's the first of the resurrection. Right. And ultimately, we're still going to be the church when we get to heaven. I remember um, just even several years ago, Baptists like to really um, emphasize that the word ecclesia, which is the Greek word for church, yeah. really means assembly. Or gathering. Or, yeah. or gathering right. or congregation, some things like that. Therefore, our denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, doesn't use the word ecclesia or church in its name because how can you have a universal gathering? And I was discussing that with someone, and uh, he said, uh, this person actually corrected me in a really good way. He said, yeah, when Jesus comes back, we're all going to be gathered. Right, exactly. How much for eternal perspective? That's an eternal perspective, and it helped me in looking at the universal church is not here. Each congregation is a church, but we're part of something that will be universal. Right. And that's when he comes back, he, you know, the horn is blown. Yeah. We are risen with him. We're with him. And guess what? We're gathered. And it's not making, uh, we, we didn't make light of biblical interpretation in that sermon. No, we, we didn't. We, we, we're very serious about that. We want to do what the Bible says. Uh, but at the end of the day, the only, there is no manly uh, human head of the church. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And that's something that needs emphasizing. Well, these we days. need to remember that the church is more of an organism than an organization. It's just that being human beings caught in time and space, 
we have to organize. Yeah. But that isn't the church. We feel comfortable essence. there. Yes. Sometimes that's okay, but don't find your rest there. That's right. I think that's the main issue. Man, we should have used that in the sermon. I don't think we did. We can go back and edit it in. That's fine. The next one was John, I'm sorry, John 8, 58, Jesus the great I am. And yeah, I wanted to preach that one too. Yeah, that was one you were envious of. That's right. Uh, but you repented. But I humbly gave it to you. Right, I appreciate that. Now, mentioning your humility apparently takes away, <laughs> takes away all from that. But Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you before Abraham was, I am a magnificent, powerful statement depicting to everyone listening exactly who he is. Jesus is God. And what they want to do as soon as he said that. And they want to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Everyone hearing that knew exactly what he meant. I tell you, within liberal theology that wants to water down all the things that they say, well, Jesus really didn't say this. Jesus really didn't say that. Well, guess what? The people who actually heard him say it, they knew what he meant. I was going to say, for someone who uh, never wanted to offend anyone with the truth, according to progressive liberalism interpretation, he sure was almost killed a lot before the cross and eventually carried there by his uh, past friends and family. So it's just an interesting uh, depiction when it talks about truth, Jesus being the way, the truth, and life. This is an exclusive gospel, and it's going to ruffle feathers if we say it right. And you, which, you know, I just want to, that reminds me to, to, to at least voice this. That means we don't have to be offensive. 100%. And that's what we, we, we the did. The gospel we did rock is that. offensive. Right. We don't have to be. You don't have to try hard <laughs> to, to offend people <laughs> if you're being honest with what the scripture says. I think that's fair. And then we back that up. So we went with Jesus the great I am there and uh, such an important phrase. And then Jesus the friend of sinners. This was the shift. That great I am. That's right. Mm-hmm. This is the shift in the series. Up to that point, it's been the exalted, you know, the pre existent Christ, the great I am, the Word of God, the chief cornerstone, yeah. the, the head of the church. He's the source of life. And guess what? This great I am, the living Word of God, is a friend to people like you and me. Yeah, I think the juxtaposition there uh, was is as awesome to the people who heard it for the first time as it is for us now to think that, uh, and, and we get into that again in just a little bit, but that this almighty God humbled himself, uh, Philippians 2, came down and became a friend to us. And I, I want to make sure we're very clear about that phrase, friend. That doesn't mean uh, Jesus is my homeboy. That's not Jesus is not my buddy pal. Buddies. That's right. Uh, I want to make sure when we say the word friend, we usually take that and go, yeah, like my friend from school. No, nothing like your friend from school. Your friend from school uh, was a sinner, first of all, like, and you are too. Like the idea of Jesus is <laughs> a friend of sinners is that he bails us out with his blood. He does no one something can do that. for us. Right that we could not do themselves. And that's a real friend. Then you have that terminology mentioned again, or that phrasing friend, uh, greater love hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. And so I just, we got to be careful because words are used now uh, in a less awesome way, (laughs) but still used uh, that we're used to describe Jesus. I wonder, Adam, I wonder if that means that as long as we're trying to be righteous, (laughs) if, we are friends. Oh, well, I don't know. With Jesus. Neil. Yeah. That doesn't mean yeah I mean, like it, it, you know, that's the whole point yeah. that Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. Yeah. You know, I came for sinners that they would repent. And, um, and so we have to be real careful. You and I are in the church a, a lot of times. Uh, and we have to be real careful 
in our own lives to make sure that we live confessional lives because it cost Christ everything mm-hmm. to be our friend. Yeah, and if we really believed that Jesus is the friend of sinners, wouldn't we be a bit more open in confession and wanting redemption and talking to our friends and uh, church members about what we're going through instead of uh, attempting to come here on Sunday morning and put on a perfect pa- face and look perfect and act like yeah, we're not yeah, going through Yeah, the people anything. that come to church, they put on their you know, Jesus face and their Jesus clothes, and then we preachers, we have to even up that. We, we up the part. We have to appear even greater than the Jesus folks outside. Is this your way of saying that you are fine from now on with if I untuck my shirt on Sunday morning when I preach? You're perfectly okay with that? I would like to get that on tape. Okay, if you want that on tape, then I will follow that train of thought by saying <laughs> if untucking your shirt is a sinful thing, then maybe you're closer to God than it's, I am. I like it. I'm going with it. <laughs> So you heard it here. <laughs> and then, uh, then, we, then we started making some, not that these haven't been big proclamations, but we really started inching our way closer and closer to Resurrection Sunday. That's, that's how we had sort of outlined it, was that we were going to start at the beginning of the year and move towards Easter after a series in Hebrews, which was great because everything about the priesthood and Melchizedek and the uh, temple and the priest having to redeem the sins of the people were all fresh in their minds. And so when we moved into Ephesians 1, 7, which says, in him we have redemption through his blood, not through anything else, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Jesus the Redeemer. Jesus the Redeemer. That was a really great text. And And uh, and you got to preach on that. Yeah. And uh, I remember us talking about that um, the value of that which is redeemed is valued by the price that was paid. So even though we can say that the human life, we were created in the image of God, we're of infinite worth, that really is more true because it cost Jesus his blood to buy me back. So my worth is more measured by what he did on the cross than the fact that I am simply created in his image. And recognizing and knowing that truth leads us to John 4, 13 uh, through 14, Jesus, the water of life. Um, This is Jesus's conversation uh, with uh, the woman at the well. Uh, And everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. This is another time where Jesus mentions, refers to himself as something like water or bread. And as we talked about, and even in the source of life, and he is what we uh, eat and drink of for that spiritual life, for that nourishment, for sustaining us. Um, The water that I will give him will not just be physical nourishment. It will not just make you uh, stop being thirsty but it will give you eternal life. And so it, it, was, it was really pushing eternal perspective, referencing himself here. And the eternal perspective, he uses something so necessary to human life. Remember, he's speaking to the Samaritan woman, mm-hmm. and, um, and she's drawing from the well at a time that nobody else wants to be around her, and she doesn't want to be around anybody else because of her sinful lifestyle. And here Jesus is saying, you know, I've got water. Yeah. Well, you'd never thirst again. And so he was able to take something so basic and so necessary and again, make him the issue. Right. Probably one of my favorite scenes in all of the New Testament was Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Um, Then we move into sort of a Jesus, the last Adam. 
Jesus the suffering servant, and then Jesus the man of sorrows. Uh, we hit that really hard because we're about to move into Resurrection Sunday. I was really surprised that uh, when you were preaching on Jesus, the last item, Adam, and you mentioned the first Adam, you didn't talk about yourself very much no. there. You did a great job in uh, uh, <laughs> being Christ-centered on right. this topic. I gave you this uh just to kind of tempt you to see what you're oh, sure. going to say yeah. about it. I think it was everybody's favorite thing to talk about at that time. <laughs> but the uh, Jesus, I'm much more like the first Adam, unfortunately, uh, but was saved by the last one. Um, obviously, that was that title, that phrase for those of us sort of following along. Um, if you're, again, cultivating a sermon series, I, I recommend this. That Jesus, the last Adam. Um, talks about uh, what he came to do versus why we were morally culpable for our sin in the first place in Genesis 3, where we are dead in our nature under our father, Adam. Jesus, the last Adam, or referred to as the second Adam, um, comes in and fixes the mess and because gives he us lives, new nature. Yeah, that's right. He lives a perfect life. Yeah. He did not eat the fruit, so to speak. I liked what you said. Um, I like what you said this past Sunday on the resurrection, um, where you said that the um, the cross, what Jesus did on the cross and the resurrection, or an empty tomb, took an axe to the root um, of the tree of sin. He says, took the axe to the root of sin and death, destroyed right. it, had victory over it. Now through Jesus's blood, we don't have to know death; we can know life. And it's just this amazing imagery. And then I couldn't help but think about the tree of knowledge. The entire time you were talking about that <laughs> and how uh, the tree of knowledge is what man through his pride brought sin into a perfect world. And it's through the tree on Calgary that we were saved uh, right. from that fallen state. So just an awesome imagery there. And then again, we really hit Isaiah 53 hard two weeks. I did not enjoy preaching Jesus, the suffering servant. But at the same time, I just think our souls were nourished at that text. And and I know it was humbling to get behind the pulpit and never talk about Jesus as a suffering servant. This right. is God we're talking about here. And right. he suffered for us. He didn't just, it was uh, what you said, he didn't just die in our place or he didn't just uh, die for our sins. He died in our place. And this is Christ we're talking about. So as you know, Isaiah 53 is rich with imagery um, on the suffering servant and prophecies being fulfilled is another really great part of going through Isaiah 53 with your church. It helps with the authenticity of the scriptures, the connecting of the testaments, um, Old Testament or prophecies revealed, um, New Testament prophecies fulfilled. But why did you concentrate um, closely on man of sorrows after we went over Isaiah 53? We went over it as a whole and then you yeah, stuck I just pretty good. Uh, I thought it was important. We just came out of a pandemic and uh, there was a lot of suffering. You know, we lost people. People died of COVID. People died of COVID related um, indicators, you know, because they were already sick. And uh, many of our people um, suffered emotional loss. And then we suffered isolation. And there was just a sense of sorrow. Yeah. And I just, and of course, the the first thing that I, uh, in my message, I, we went over the words of uh, the the song, you know, yeah. uh, Man of Constant Sorrow. And we referred to that back in another roundtable. Yeah, we did, because it's important. That song was uh, first written and understood and heard in 1913. Mm-hmm. And... It really expresses a broken world. Right. You said that um, 
what did you say? How did you say it about Jesus uh, not being not being living a sorrowful life? There's yes, I, I, that, that was really was insightful part. when I read. Uh, mm-hmm. I think even Spurgeon is uh, the person who said that he was a man of sorrows, but he was not a sorrowful person. Huge, yeah. That is huge because uh, if you understand the whole of Scripture, even though he bore our sorrows mm-hmm. and was acquainted with grief, which is in Isaiah 53.3, he also, Hebrews tells us, that he looked for the joy beyond the sorrow right. and the affliction. Yep, and then all of this was a precursor, even from the mouth of Isaiah, leading to what Jesus came here to do, that he was about his mission from the very beginning. You see, even from his baptism, younger on, even in his teens, when he was lost by his parents and he was in the temple, uh, most likely repeating or learning the Torah. Um, and we see Jesus, the Lamb of God, uh, first... Uh, we use First Corinthians five seven for that. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. We referred to that there. We also went over um, the Lamb of God in His baptism. You did a great. That was John the Baptist. Listen, I really appreciated the way that you um, just brought out the way that John the Baptist. You know, he's mm-hmm. out there doing his thing. Yeah, voice Jesus is approaching him. He stops. He points at, I think, I always think of John the Baptist with a pointed finger. You yeah, know, right. I would hate for him to be Nathan saying, thou art the man. That'd I mean, the power yeah. of his you know, conviction bad. of yeah. repentance and thing, you know, but he stops all this baptism of repentance stuff. And then he looks at Jesus and he says, behold, mm. the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, which is another way of saying, I baptize you to repent of your sins He's the one who's going to take away your sins. Like this is just the voice of the wilderness from Isaiah 40. That's right. What's coming is the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. That's right. Uh, Huge text there. And one where it was very difficult to get anywhere near 40 minutes. Not that we aim for that all the time, but man alive, can you go? (laughs) Jesus, the (laughs) lamb of God. And we made sure to understand that he is a lion reigning victorious over sin. But we are very thankful that our Jesus is referred to as a lamb because it is because of the sacrifice that we have hope. Mm-hmm. And then that all led perfectly. I think uh, Jesus, Lamb of God, was really good, the way you orchestrated that, to go to Jesus, the resurrection. And then um, one of my favorite things that you said on Sunday, you did that on Easter Sunday, Jesus, the resurrection, and we'll finish it up uh, this Sunday with Jesus, the amen out of Revelation. But you said Jesus did not uh, just rise from the dead. He is the resurrection. I think this was really important as we continued on through the theme um, that Jesus pointed all things to himself because that is where we have hope. And you have, I would have worked here for seven years, something like that now. You have a dedication uh, to helping people clear out all the junk that they find on their way or their pathway to salvation and doing the best you can with the talents God's given you to aim for Christ in everything that you say and do. And I think this was all wrapped up in your your story, your personal testimony. If you are listening and you haven't uh, watched that sermon, it's on our YouTube page as well as Facebook and online, uh, Jesus the Resurrection by Neil Helton. you got to check that sermon out. I thought it was one of the best sermons I've ever heard you preach. I really do. Um, I don't know what. Why was it? Why was it so good? Was it just that it was Easter Sunday? It was Easter, and it was about the resurrection. Of people there again. Was it that? Was what it was? It was. You know, the only. You know what? Part of it that makes it personal is the. 
look, the conversation that Jesus was having with Martha, Martha says, yes, mm-hmm. I believe Lazarus is going to rise on the last day. Mm-hmm. Sure, I found it and, interesting you used yeah, that text, too. I thought that was really good. Well, Mary and Martha and Lazarus being dead. It's a difference and, between having a theological position about something mm-hmm. and Jesus saying, no, you're missing the point. This yeah. is not a theological position. This is about me. I and the resurrection. Right. And, um, you know, and even though I reminisced a little bit about my grandmother who mm-hmm. raised me after my mother and father died when I was 15 months old, and, and I know that my mother converted from Judaism into Christianity and she was baptized. And I have even, I didn't mention this, but I have actually the letters between my father who was stationed during the Korean War and my mother where he is saying, I want you to know Christ, but I don't want you to do it because you married me. Oh, wow. And, um, and then he comes home, and she knows the Lord. And then also meeting the one man who led my, Lord, my father to the Lord. Right. Because, of course, at 15 months old, I didn't have any conversation with them about salvation. At that yeah, point. all of that to say that... They are in the presence. They are in the, of the presence King, of, as we know, exactly through the, right. their faith and the proclamation of faith and the saving power of Jesus Christ. But they have not been resurrected. When Jesus comes key. again, that's when we're resurrected. We did talk about the different ideas mm-hmm. that people have. Uh, the Greek immortality of the soul uh, is one thing, mm-hmm. uh, where it could be in a good place or a bad place. Uh, but that isn't the biblical doctrine of the resurrection. It isn't about the immortality of the soul. It's about Jesus rose physically from the dead. He ascended physically into heaven. He is coming back in his transformed physical body, and he is going to transform us into a physical body so that our bodies and our soul are going to be reunited, and we, be, we would be, as in the Jewish understanding of a person, a whole unified being. Amen. Yeah, I, I can't wait. And I think that's the message for the church. Live in light of eternity. Live in light of the resurrection. And I wanted to make sure people knew that if they came back the next Sunday or the next Sunday after that, Amelia Baptist was going to be about the resurrection. We were going to be excited about the resurrection. That's and not reserved for one Sunday. No, or. that's right. And so here we are. We're talking about the resurrection, but ultimately, Jesus has the last word, right? right? That's right. And what a perfect segue, <laughs> <laughs> unplanned and spontaneous as always, into <laughs> Jesus the uh, amen. Should I go amen or amen? Which one should I do, the southern slang or the real professional version? I want you just to pray about it. All right. Perfect. Well, Jesus the amen. Uh, Revelation 1, um, we're looking at verses 7 through 8, and we'll skip over to 22 um, and talk about what it means uh, for him to be the Alpha and Omega. He gets the final word. And I think that is incredibly pertinent. I mean, it's always pertinent. But I think right now we are really asking ourselves who gets the final say, who gets the final word. And we attach that question to everything that's going on in our lives. I was just diagnosed with cancer. Who gets the final word? I don't trust who's president currently or last four years. Who gets the final word? I don't like where my money's going. Who gets the final word? And at the end of the day, Christians, uh, the best friends that you have are the ones who point you to Christ Jesus as the final word. And you being in Revelation. I think you're going to be speaking a little bit in chapter 22. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he's the Alpha and he's the Omega, the beginning and the end. And him being the Amen is another way of saying, so be it. That's right. This is it. Yeah, and you know what I'm going to do? Um, I'm going to make a reference to the song Alpha and Omega 
beginning and the end that the Gaither vocal band is known for playing. <laughs> but that's the music right up your alley. Yeah, yeah but we were going to talk, and you have to hear this on Sunday, we were going to talk about the original artists. I'm going to save that for you as a surprise for Sunday. <laughs> and that we just may have someone who was in this original band at our church currently attending. So if you want to know the answer, <laughs> I don't even know who you're talking Sunday. about. I'm going to tell you, it's all going to be there. Alpha and Omega, <laughs> the beginning and the end. Uh, thank you, Pastor Neil. Um, yeah, as always, great. I, I love I've enjoyed this sermon. I know, man. I'm, ex- I'm really kind of sad that it's coming to an end, but uh, the good news is all the scripture is about Jesus. So we'll get our chance That's to right. keep going. Man, we're going to be in first Peter and second Peter and Jude. Our next series, uh, yes, yeah, First Peter, Second Peter, and Jude, and that'll take us a good bit, and then we'll see where the Lord wants us to go from here. But I want to thank you guys so much for listening, for sharing, for subscribing. Uh, we really do appreciate it here um, at the uh, roundtables. We hope that you have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you on Sunday, or we will see you when our paths cross. Thank you, Pastor Neil. I appreciate it. <laughs> All right. See you later.